1: You are listening to Rum Bunter Radio, round two this time. Trey Yannity, site expert Nick Caparoso with you. And we are joined this week by our first guest of the season, staff writer, baseball expert, Cody Potanko. Thank you for joining us tonight, Cody. It seems like your contact book just never ends uh, with some of these <laughs> interviews you've been doing. Incredible work, most recently, um, Day in the Life of a Pittsburgh Pirates Minor League Prospect, some other great stuff. Guys, go check it out. Cody, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us tonight.
2: Oh, no problem, man. I'm happy to join on. I'm uh, really excited to you know talk some baseball with you guys. I miss baseball in my life. I need something.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, Cody. Excited to have you on this week. Last week, we had our first episode, and I think we got off to a pretty good start, so it's going to be good to get you on here and talk some uh, MLB draft stuff.
1: A lot to talk about in this episode of Rum Bunter Radio. Let's get it started with addressing the owner player meeting. Some big news breaking today uh, with some steps economically moving forward here. We've heard talks of a revenue split or sliding salaries as well. Some interesting ideas. Guys, kind of break this down for us here and and help us understand what players want and kind of how things went today. Oh, I, I,
2: you know, man, I think the players, they. I think the main thing they want is a good portion of the money. You know, it's it's what they always strive for, and it, I don't blame them. You know, it's it's their livelihood. It's not a side job. It's nothing like that. It's something they use, you know, to feed their families. And this new sliding salary cap. I didn't get the whole details on it, but from what I'm understanding, is uh, the guys who make the league minimum. Um, which is in the 500K region, are going to make somewhere in the 200K region. And the guys making $35 million are going to make somewhere in the range of 7000000 million, I'm pretty sure. So I think this is going to be another thing that's turned down by the MLBPA. Um, I know the owners passed it um, and they're waiting for approval. But like I said, I think this is going to be another shot down idea and a long laundry list of ideas that have already been shot down.
3: Yeah, I know Garrett Cole, I saw his salary after, of course, signing the record-breaking contract. He would make $9 million this year on on this plan, which, you know, for a lot of the players that are going to be affected by this, $9 million would be great. But for a guy like Garrett Cole, who just agreed, to this huge contract and is prepared to go out and throw 200-plus innings and put his arm at risk, etc. He wants the money that he's earned. On top of that, of course, now you're also underpaying the younger prospects who are just coming up, and you know, during a financial crisis in the world, you're stripping away significant chunk of change that, Is life changing for them, but also if they didn't manage their money correctly, then they don't have as much room as some of these other players have. So I I agree with you. I think the MLP PA is definitely going to mix this. Um, But I do think this is another one of those things that they're more or less trying to lay a groundwork to keep building off of, you know, and I think. Absolutely at least they're once again having conversations that seem like they're somewhat productive.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and you mentioned those uh minor league uh prospect guys as far as uh financial situations go. If there even is a season, um with them. Well of
3: course I meant I meant the the you know like the Jose Asuna's and oh, okay, I got Mitch you. Kellers I, when I was talking about those. Yeah the minor league guys I mean, who knows right? Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, like like uh, Trey was saying, I, I've been talking to these minor league guys and you know you hear the stories of you know some of these guys having to go to you know a Western Union before a game or practice and having to give all but 20 bucks to their families back home. And you know you see that a lot with uh, the international prospects and, and you know and the Dominican or wherever it may be. And they're trying to live off of twenty bucks. It's it's sad to see, and it's even more sad if there's got, not going to be a season.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. I just, uh, you know, that made me think of talking to a minor league prospect in the Pirates system a few years ago. Shane Kemp, he was a pitcher out uh, of George Washington. He uh, just in general in the off season, he was bagging groceries in between workouts. You know, and yeah. we we've. You know, it's been one of the big, heavy discussions about um, getting minor leaguers better pay. And what's really, really unfortunate is that not only should they have better pay when they're playing baseball, but now they don't have that money to fall back on that some of the big leaguers have.
1: And isn't it crazy that, you know, through everything, um, you know, considered, with these guys, some of these minor leaguers and, and even maybe lower name major league guys uh, not making really little to no money. You have guys like Blake Snell, like Marcus Stroman, that are so concerned about making every bit of money of their massive contract that they maybe forget about players like this um, and forget about you know what they're doing, uh, even potentially avoiding the entire season just to get every penny they can. Stroman said today it's looking doubtful for baseball in 2020 what's your guys opinion we talked about it a week ago a little bit has happened since then but is a season going to happen this year Mm. Uh,
2: personally see it's it's like when i talked to bernie holiday it's the head and the heart my head tells me no my heart says yes um i i think you see with like you said blake snow and even trevor bauer has come out and talked about this um, I don't think there is going to be a season. Um, you see other leagues, uh, starting to, you know, gear up the NHL just approved a 2014 playoff. Um, and I think baseball needs a season. I really think they do, but I think we're going to see 2020 without baseball. And it's sad to see Nick. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I think it's heading in that direction. Last week, I was a lot more optimistic on here, but The more talks that go on, the more it seems like the CBA is almost being pushed up a year. You know, I think this is this suspension of play right now has given a real opportunity for both sides to really butt heads because there's no rush necessarily to get back because of the pandemic. Unfortunately, I think both sides are using this pandemic Because a bargaining chip right now and no one's in a real rush to get back to play. And instead of having these CBA talks at the end of this season and potentially affecting next year, both sides are trying to get this work done now, which might be a good time for it. But at the same time, us fans, when we need something to watch and distract us from what's going on in the world, it'd be great to have baseball back.
2: It's sad when we're watching Korean baseball as a alternative. I'm I'm tired of staying up till
1: one in the morning.
3: That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. At least we know some of the players that are there now.
1: Yeah. A lot has changed really this year, not just the way that pairs are going to be played or obviously not being able to play 162 games. Uh, but one thing that has changed significantly is the major league baseball draft. We get much closer to it now. June the 10th, only a few days away. Uh, Gentlemen, let's break it down. Only five rounds this year. We got a little bit of a a mock draft from Nick last week, but who was most interesting in this draft? Not just for Pittsburgh. We'll, We'll get to that in a minute, but who do you guys seeing the first pick in this year's draft and maybe one through three?
3: You know, for the longest time, Austin Martin, the outfielder from Vanderbilt, was projected to be a first overall pick. I think a lot of times when you're talking about outfielders, projectable hitters, all-around athletes, um, they often get put at the top of the board. But with Spencer Torkelson from Arizona State, the first baseman, he looks like they're talking he could potentially play some corner outfield, which is probably why his value has jumped up because you often don't see first baseman go that high. Um, You had Vaughn go to the White Sox in the top 10 last year. But also you had Pete Alonzo crush a lot of home runs this year for the Mets who slid out of the first round for them a few years back. So – I think teams are lightening up on the position, and they're more concerned with getting the best offensive talent and come out the position later, and Spencer is definitely the best all-around power hitter in the draft. The best pitcher right now is looking like Asa Lacy from Texas A&M. He's a lefty, which definitely gives him a little more value than Emerson Hancock, who was formerly the top pitching prospect in the draft. Nothing against Hancock, he had a strong start to the season this year, but I think lacy just power stuff from the left side uh projectable at 6'4. you don't find many lefties like that so i think that's kind of vaulted him up into the top mm-hmm. three.
2: Oh, i agree i agree um now kind of i don't know i i wanted to talk a little bit about mick abel a little bit as if he drops um to the pirates um this guy man uh I was reading something in Fangraphs about him, and uh, I think it was Sungmin Kim of Fangraphs. He said uh, when he adds some weight, I can see him having an AJ Burnett esque build, and we know as Pirate fans how huge AJ Burnett was in those pushes. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, and I see his stuff and he kind of do, he kind of does remind me of AJ Burnett a little bit with his fastball. You know, it's in the 93 to 95 range and at 18 years old, we all know that it could jump up to a 96, 97 possibly.
3: And plus he has 6 foot 6 frame which Right now, they're marking him at 190 pounds. So he has a good at least 20 pounds, if not more, that he can add on. So there's definitely room for that fastball to grow. Oh, yeah, no
2: doubt. And if this was the Neil Huntington era, you know Neil Huntington would be drooling at this kind of pick because he's he's a a tall pitcher and he's a prep pitcher. And I don't know where Ben Charrington's going to go because obviously he doesn't have a huge track record with draft picks um but I think Mick Abel is a can't miss prospect and I know a lot of people say that, but that's my opinion personally.
3: I agree with you Abel is definitely the top prep pitcher in this draft. he is very intriguing like you said with his power fastball already and then that frame that you can build on he has an older brother who's also expected to get drafted this year so there's a pedigree there he, he is interesting. I wouldn't be mad if the Pirates went in that direction. But like you said, Ben Charrington, a lot of the reports early on are that he's looking at college players and more specifically hitters. So right now, the the popular mocks, and in my own mock, I had them taking the Arkansas outfielder Heston Jerstad, who I talked about last week, uh, just... The prototypical corner power hitting outfielder who is a switch hitter. And really, what you're going to get there is you're getting the bat and you're getting the power potential that the Pirates need in their system. But New Mexico State second baseman Nick Gonzalez, who was once viewed as probably a top four pick, seems to be sliding down the board a little bit. I know part of that is because of his exit velocity numbers. I guess they are considered uh, below average compared to a lot of the other t- top hitters. Still, uh, exit velocity is not necessarily everything for a five foot ten middle infielder. We saw that with Kevin Newman last year. If Gonzalez is what The scouting reports are with him is that he's just a very good pure hitter. I'm not as concerned about his power potential as I am if he can hit at the top of the lineup, play a solid second base, and you know, compete maybe for batting titles. And yeah, if he's swatting ten home runs a year, that's not great. But if they're getting, you know, an elite bat overall, I think it would be worth it.
2: You talked about how Ben is looking at college uh prospects. Do, do you think that's because um of the limited draft, because prep arms or prep bats might be a bit of a risk uh with such limited picks?
3: I think it's it's a little bit of that. I think it's a little bit of financially. You know, the the college players do not have as much leverage, obviously, because if they go back as seniors, then they really don't have any direction to go in. They also risk more of an injury, et cetera, Where the prep kids obviously can go to College and hopefully up their value and get the payday that they probably deserve.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: With that, I think the other thing with the college players is what you're touching on. I think that the risk factor there. Um, I think it kind of actually goes back to Moneyball with the the whole concept that Billy Bean would only draft college players because it was hard to project high high school talent and. You know, I think when you're picking high in the draft at seven, there's an expectation that you're going to get a good big league player out of that pick. So I think he is looking at college because he wants to get an impact guy who's going to help sooner rather than later, rather than I got you. a prospect who's a little more far off and dev- might not develop the way that we hoped, like we saw so much under Huntington.
1: Cody, you mentioned a minute ago about how Neil Huntington would be drooling um, you know, at, at certain players like the tall pitchers from prep schools. Do you guys think that Ben Charrington is, has a little bit of more of an open mind when it comes to drafting players, or does he kind of drool at, at certain types like Huntington did?
2: I think it's hard not to drool at someone like Mick Abel because he's so unique uh, in that sense, but... I think Ben has more. I think you did touch on it. Uh, he has a more open mind. Um, we saw that with his want to get more international prospects. Um, we saw that with uh, Starling Marte trade. And you have to. You have to. You can't just always rely on uh, college kids or high school kids. You have to go out and find international guys. They are, for the most part, the heart and soul of baseball, and they, they bring the fans in, and the Pirates kind of need that right now.
3: And he's already agreed to terms with Shalen Polanco for next year, who's a top 10 international prospect on the board. So, yeah, I agree with you for sure. He, he seems to be buying in into the international process. When it comes to certain types of players, I think, you know, the college players are what's being reported. And like I said, it makes sense for the draft this year. But I also think with Charrington's draft strategy coming into a smaller market, I think in general, I, you're going to see him focus more on the college players because they're lower risk. And I think he's going to focus more on their overall talent and tools rather than their build, per se. I think Huntington got caught up a lot in just the, seeing those 6'4 and 6'5, and man, imagine what I can do. we can do with that frame, but it didn't always work out. You know, I know one guy that in the draft this year is Bryce Jarvis from Duke, and he is six foot two. So he's a little bit undersized compared to what you would expect from Huntington. And I would expect Huntington to stay away from him, but he's one of those guys that I could see Charrington potentially looking at. You also have Max Meyer, the right-handed pitcher from Minnesota who only stands at six foot, but everything I've seen from him is he looks dynamic. He has electric stuff and, You know, to me, I think of Sonny Gray right away when I look at him. And Neil Huntington would have never have taken shots at those guys because they went against his draft strategy. But I don't think that Ben Charrington is going to worry about that as much as he's going to worry about if he just believes they can be good players or not at the big league level.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think Bryce Jarvis, you touched on him. Uh, i think he could be a decent pickup i mean you look at last year's stats with him um, he only played in four games but in those four games uh, he had a 0.67 era and you don't see a whole lot of that in college ball you know you see guys with you know four era or you know a decent three but a sub one era is pretty incredible especially for a college kid
3: yeah. And through four starts, which is a small sample size, but like you said, he gave up one run also his fastball velocity moved up. So it's going to be actually interesting to see where he goes in Kylie McDaniels last mock draft. He had him going at number 31 to the, to the pirates. And I really like that. But in today's mock draft, he had him going at number 25, I believe. And I think part of that's because of that velocity he had and he's putting out some tape of him throwing bullpens and his stuff is just looking more and more electric. And even with him being six foot two, there's still projectability there. So his stock is rising, but also his track record at Duke is limited. So if the pirates were able to get him at 31, I would be pumped. But right now it's looking like he's probably going to go sooner than that. Now, in Kylie McDaniel's mock draft that he released today, he has the Pirates drafting Arizona catcher Austin Wells, who probably isn't going to stick behind the plate. He probably projects more as a first baseman. And of course, with the designated hitter coming into the National League, most likely, um, there's that option too. He is six foot one, 220 pounds, a left-handed hitter with plenty of power potential. And that's why I mentioned the designated hitter um, route, just because, you know, having a lefty power hitter is always great in that spot. In terms of drafting him at 31, that would probably be a bit of a reach on him. He, on Fangraphs, is ranked at 44 and has a down arrow, which means he's dropping. But that could also be a financially savvy move. Once again, being he's defensively limited, Charrington might not be too worried about that and be more worried about just getting the plus bat. And he might be able to save some money to use on a higher risk pick later in the draft.
1: Now, Cody, uh, you've been doing a good deal of work with late round draft picks. Talk about that, and maybe what decisions go into picking these late round guys and who the pirates are, are going to be taking this year.
2: this whole uh you know five round pick uh scenario has kind of put a damper on these uh mock drafts for me, uh, especially with the late round guys as you put trey um, there are three guys in particular that I were look that I was looking at, and the one guy that really stood out to me. Uh, was Daniel Susick. He's a catcher out of Jesuit high school. Um, Now, if the Susick name rings a bell for any of you Pirates fans, uh, he is the brother of Andrew Susick. He is with the Pirates as well. And Daniel has a little bit more of an athletic edge to him than his brother. Uh, His pop-up time was 1.82, which is extremely good uh, for a catcher. Uh, His exit velocity was at a crisp 103 miles per hour. The one thing that kind of threw me off with him, I've watched uh, a lot of tape on Daniel, was his colossal leg kick. And I think you see that a lot with high school kids as like a timing mechanism. Um, I think that could be tweaked with. Uh, It's going to take some time. I know some guys uh, really struggle, especially with rookie ball and their first go at things. Um, but if they could somehow kill that leg kick a bit, I think Daniel Susick would be a great pickup in the later rounds.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you know, great point there. Has a brother in the organization, understands kind of what Pittsburgh is about. Um, and I, I think that's a big thing for a lot of these draftees to be just understanding the situation you're you're getting drafted to, and I think for guys that that head to Pittsburgh, kind of have to realize early on that you don't have the luxuries that you might have if you were in the Boston system or the New York system or Houston or, um, you know, on and on. But for a lot of these guys, when they get to Pittsburgh, y- you start to learn a certain way. And Cody, we talked about it earlier this week, how speed is emphasized within the Pirates minor league organization all the way up through the majors. Kind of how did you did you hear about this and, and give us really the full detail on on why this is the case? it's no surprise that the pirates
2: lack power uh, within the organization. You have some guys that have power with, you know, Josh bell being the obvious one. Um, Colin Moran has some power to him. Uh, Brian Reynolds has a little bit of pop in his bat, but I think the pirates direction is speed. And you see that within the minor league system. You see it with guys like G Wan Bay, And I know that's a bit of a touchy subject with his previous uh, goings-on in Korea. Um, You have guys like Jared Oliva. You have guys like Piguero. You have guys like um, Jared Martin. You have Josiah Dixon. Speed is the theme and small ball is the theme. And I think in a league that has an enormous amount of power, I think small ball might be the way to go. You saw it with the st louis cardinals for years they had a system where they would go base to base or they would steal some bases and i think small ball is the way to go uh clint hurdle uh the previous manager hated small ball he hated it and i think with Derek shelton things might turn around um don't quote me on that i'm not an expert as you guys think i am (laughs) um but i think like you said, Trey, speed is the theme and I'm really liking it.
3: And I think also the term small ball gets thrown around, and I think in today's game, it's not necessarily small ball. I think it's more of creating offense based off of your lineup, you know, and the Pirates know that they cannot create a lineup like the Yankees can. Okay, they can they simply can't afford the power. So, they have to get creative with what they can do. And the best way to do that is, like you said, it's to get these high-end athletes or these college hitters and college pitchers who you have a lot more tape on and an understanding of what they're going to be, the safer type players. Instead of taking so many risks and trying to develop them so much, you're going to get athletic players who are closer to MLB ready. And that's going to lead to, like you said, Derek Shelton getting opportunities to get more creative with an offense that might be, appear to be a little more small ball but hopefully productive
2: yeah uh, you saw it in in spring training as well I know Cole that Cole Tucker didn't um, steal any bases but you saw the enormous leads he was taking off of first base and I think that's going to speak volumes if there is a season uh, with how they're going to attack uh, base running I think it's going to be an aggressive style and. I think that's what it needs to be. I think you have to create runs within this lineup that lacks so much power.
3: Yeah, and you talk about speed, and right off the bat, like you think Cole Tucker, who has some of the best speed in our organization. Then also you have Kevin Newman, who can steal bags. You have Brian Reynolds, who can steal bags. You, You did have Marte, who obviously was a big base dealer, but he was moved not so much because of that, but because of that value he brings with that but also you have Polanco who can steal some bases and you know it's not like the current team doesn't have that I just feel like under a previous regime it wasn't utilized correctly so hopefully it's something they can tap in more and like you said create more runs.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a need that needs to be filled and it's something you need to recognize. And Derek Shelton, I think can recognize that he seems like a, uh, an intelligent individual. And I think he can use utilize uh, this lineup. I think this team will surprise some people. They're not going to the playoffs, I don't think, but I think this team can surprise some folks
3: the difference I see between Shelton and hurdle is Shelton is going to take his lineup and try to create the best offense he can with it. Where hurdle was trying to use his offense with the pieces he had, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And we, we hit on it a a week ago here. Um, Uh, about how these guys, um, you know, this whole regime is going to take on Pittsburgh with such a different attitude than what we've seen. We talked about Oscar Marin a a good deal last week, and Cody, you had the chance to talk to Quinn Priester um, just a little bit ago. Are minor leaguers excited about the changes that have been made from what you've um, understood? And, you know, how is the new regime going to kind of change the way that the minor league system is handled?
2: Man, uh, you got... You got great pitchers and Quinn Priester and Tanaj Thomas and Cody Bolton and Santiago Flores and Cameron Junker and And Brennan Malone. Brennan Malone to me is a little bit of a mystery. Um, I know he was compared to Quinn Priester in the draft. So from the limited sample size I saw from him, I think he has uh, Quinn Priester-esque ability, if that makes sense. Um, But I think that this new regime, uh, especially with a new sheriff in town, Ben Charrington, having an emphasis on not just international talent, but minor league talent in general. You look at uh, Toronto, who had no one in their system, nobody. And Ben Charrington comes to town and he gets guys like Vladdy Jr. And all of these guys coming up. Um, and now they're contending for an AL East title. I think Ben Charrington can bring that same energy. I think the new staff can bring that same energy. I think Oscar Marin is one of those pitching coaches that we needed. Um, I love uncle Ray. I love him, but I think we needed a fresh set of eyes, a younger guy to Relate to these people, you got guys like Kyron Madison who ran the Bristol program with uh, one of my buddies Eric Minchall, and I'm sad that they let him go the pitching coach because he he did incredible things with this these guys he 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 talked to Santiago Flores, he talked to john O'Reilly, and that's a nut sorry guys I need to get on John O'Reilly for a minute. John O'Reilly is an undrafted guy out of Rutgers who no one gave him a shot, nobody. And he gets into extended with Eric Minshaw. And Eric says, this is how you're going to get out of this system. This is how you're going to go up and do incredible things. And John just dominated. You saw him go to three different levels. He's in Altoona now, an undrafted guy from Rutgers. Rutgers. And he's dominating the system. So this is just, I'm sorry for all the yelling, but this is a very exciting moment for me. I'm 25 years old, and this is the most excited I've ever been with the Pirates minor league system. I'm done.
1: (laughs) Cody, that's a great point, and please don't apologize, man. We love the excitement here at Run Bunter Radio. That is what we are here for, getting excited about Pirates baseball and covering everything and every aspect of it. But that is going to do it for episode two here. Cody, thank you so much for joining us. You have been an unbelievable first guest to have. We will have Marty back on next week along with Nick. My name is Trey Anity. Thank you for listening. You can find us on rumbunter.com, fansided.com, and the Rumbunter app. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.